We're uh, continuing our series on uh, the book of 1 John this morning. And uh, I want to invite you uh, to give your attention to the reading of God's word from 1 John 4. John chapter 4 verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love, believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning and we beg for you to draw near to us uh, as you've promised. You say that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you are present with us. And so, Lord, we call upon your presence to open our eyes and soften our hearts and unstop our ears and to reorder our lives. And we pray that you would do that by your spirit through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're now about uh, eight sermons or so into this series on First John. And as we say every week, uh, this was a letter written by the Apostle John when he's probably in his 80s. He's writing to a network of churches in Asia Minor in the first century uh, that were in danger of losing their way, falling for counterfeit Christianity, using the name of Jesus, but in a very anti-Jesus way. And uh, this kind of pressure was coming from inside the church, not outside the church. And John doesn't want his flock to fall for counterfeit. And the best way to identify counterfeit is by becoming very familiar with the real thing. Now, you, you, you notice that John tends to repeat himself again and again. 
And uh, we've likened his letter to being more like a song than a legal brief. You get the verse, you get the chorus, you get the verse, you get the chorus, you get the reprise, you get the, you know, whatever those refrain, all that kind of stuff. And it just keeps circling over a few themes again and again and again. And this morning we return again to the topic of love. Now you may have noticed that uh, the way this passage begins and ends is the same. Verse seven says, beloved, let us love one another. Verse 21 says, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister. So we're talking about love. And we're talking about the call to love that the gospel puts on our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but um, during the the sheltering in place uh, season uh, that that went on for for a while, uh, I found myself trying to find shows that would kind of get me through this season. Something I could watch. Uh, deal a little bit with the boredom. And uh, one of the shows that I watched, as it seems like hundreds of thousands of people watched as well, was Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Got any Mandalorian fans out there? Right? I'm, not, I'm not a Star Wars nerd, okay? But I did love me some Mando. And, of course, everybody's talking about The Mandalorian through that season. And you see all these memes and pictures all over the internet of what? Baby Yoda, right? But for me, Baby Yoda wasn't the magic of that show. The magic of that show was four words that were repeated again and again through a number of episodes. Do you know what words I'm talking about? This is the way. This is the way. This is what the Mandalorian would say when someone would talk about something that needs to be done or something they had to do. He would say, this is the way. And it was four words that encapsulated a code that all the Mandalorians were supposed to live by. This is the way. And what I want you to think about this morning is this. Every time John tells us to love, I want you to hear him saying, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Christianity. Love is the way. This is is exactly what Jesus taught. When he summarized all of the law, he said it comes down to love God and love your neighbor. This is something all the New Testament letters, for all their diversity and different styles and focuses, they all say love is the summation of what God calls his people to. We saw it a little earlier in our liturgy when we saw in Romans 13. It's also in Galatians 5 when when. When Paul, who's writing about justification, also says in chapter 5, verse 6, what counts as faith working through love? And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians 13, that famous love passage that everybody reads uh, at weddings, which is really about community, Paul says, what remains is faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Love is the cardinal virtue. And we need to hear this again and again and again, don't we? Because it's easy to forget. The church can be known not by love, but by what it hates or stands against. Or the church can drift into indifference. Or maybe just relational stinginess. But love is the way. According to John, according to all the New Testament, according to Jesus. It's easy to forget. But you know what? It's also easy to misunderstand. Because there is such a thing as counterfeit love. 
You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about those sentimental and selfish notions of love that are really about like, I love me. Do you love me like I love me? And if you don't, this doesn't feel like a very loving place. That love gets turned into where I feel comfortable and most affirmed in all my desires and demands. But friends, love can call us into some pretty uncomfortable places. The easiest way to recognize this is uh, parenting. What, What happens, a couple gets married and they... They profess their love for one another, right? I love you, you love me. We're just going to do love for the rest of our life together, right? And then one or sometimes both get this idea, how about we bring another person into this? Let's have a baby. And what happens? Date nights, greatly decrease. Sleeping in, no more. (laughs) Right? You can't go on trips because it quadruples the amount of planning. And it also quadruples the amount of stuff you have to bring with you. And then, as they get older, they start taking control of the music in your car. (laughs) And then you start spending all your money on their education. And on and on and on it goes. And yet, we all look at it and we say, but that's love. And it's worth it. There's something about love that fills up and causes you to pour out and spill out. And love is the way. The church is supposed to be a community of love. It's a place you go to be loved, yes, but it's a place you go to love. Is that how you think about the church? Did any of us wake up this morning and say, I got to get to church because there's people to be loved there? You see, that's exactly what the gospel calls us to, is to love. Beloved, let us love one another, and whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. Verses 7 and 21, the, the bookends of this passage, they give us the command. But what John does this time around is he gives us all the reasons. And what he gives us is theological, but it's theology on fire. And so I want to look at these reasons together this morning. And here's the first one. We are called to love. Why? Because God is love. John says it twice. The first time he says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now that's a massive claim. But it's one that we're familiar uh, because we've heard it so often. But this wasn't always always the case. You look at uh, uh, the writings of historians like Tom Holland... And uh, he's, he's not a Christian yet, but he, he would say, our imagination has been so fundamentally shaped by Christianity, we, do, we, 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 don't, we can't even tell how influenced we've been by it. Because if you look at the ancient world, no one described God as love. God was power. God was fickle. The gods were always involved in all kinds of shenanigans. But that God is love is unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition. And it is so fundamentally shaped us that we say, God is love. Yeah, okay, God is love. Yeah, moving on to the next point. But here's what happens is it's become so familiar, we actually get confused that we think love is God. And the Bible nowhere says that. 
God is love is different than God is power and love is God. God is love is an affirmation about who he is in his eternal being and essence. And unpacking this takes a lifetime. Think about it like this. God is so absolute. He's so perfect. He's so complete. He's so full. He's so inexhaustibly resourceful and joyful that he is by nature a giver. Think about this. When do we feel like we can't love? If it, we feel like we can't love when we're running on empty and we got nothing to give. But God is always so full that he's always able to overflow and never need. That's who God is. See, earlier in this letter, John told us that God is light. There's not a spot of darkness or impurity in him. And what he meant by that was he is the standard of what is right and wrong because he's light. Here John tells us God is love, which means he's the source of love for love comes from God, but he's also the standard of what it is to love. God, in himself, by nature, a giver. So full as to overflow. Go back before creation. He is love. And this is one of the beautiful things about the Christian faith. Is that we actually have been given a glimpse into how he is love before the creation of the world. If you look at other monotheistic religions, one of the reasons why they don't say God is love is because... To love, there needs to be a beloved. There needs to be an other to love. And they don't want to make God dependent on creation. If he's love, what does he love? He loves his creation. Well, that kind of, if that's who he is in himself, then he has to have creation to be that. You see, the Christian view is different. Because the Christian view, and this is the mystery of the Trinity, is that from all eternity, God has existed in three co-equal persons. Father, Son, And Holy Spirit. This is how we're to think about God. And the coming of Jesus brought this to light in the most beautiful way. God is the Father loving the Son by the Spirit forever and always. Not dependent on anything else. Didn't need to make anything. But so full as to overflow. Eternal love is at the heart of the universe. It's not a byproduct of creation. And it's not a byproduct of evolutionary biology that is just a survival mechanism. It is the heart of the universe. The God who is love. Jesus Jesus talked about this. In John chapter 17, in his great uh, final prayer before he went to the cross, in John 17, 24, as he's praying to the Father, he says, you loved me before the creation of the world. And what did Jesus do with the love that he received from the Father? Verse 26, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. I mean, whoa. The love that the Father has for the Son is to get in us. And that's actually part of what it means to know God, is to be overwhelmed by the God who is love. We're invited in to experience the embrace of this love. That's what it means to have fellowship with the Father and the Son, as John has talked about through this letter. Does this sound boring to you? Or does this thrill your heart? 
That God is love takes us to the heart of the mystery of the Trinity. In fact, G.K. Chesterton said, Trinity is just a fancier way of saying God is love. Fancier way of saying God is love. And this is why John says, whoever does not love does not know God. Think that. Think, think, Think that out for a second. How can we claim to know the God who is love and not have any love in us? How can we claim to have an intimate relationship with this God and be a cold-hearted, selfish, loveless person? If you aren't a loving person, John writes, and again, he writes very starkly, then you just don't know this God. You haven't met him because this God is love. That's the first theological uh, foundation piece that John gives us. But he moves on in verse 9. We are called to love, not just because God is love, but because God has loved us in a very particular and very definite way. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then I love how he, he doesn't just stop there. He says, in this is love. Like, this is the kind of love I'm talking about. Not that we have loved God. Oh, thank you for that honesty, John. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The ultimate expression of God's love is not a feeling we get in our heart. Right? It's not a secret that's whispered to us by a guru or an influencer, is the display of his love in his son dying on the cross for our sins. And we grow numb to that, don't we? But it's at the heart of the expression of God's love that every Christian is called to build their life on. I think one of the reasons why it doesn't get us is because we don't take our sins seriously enough. We actually think with a little you know, self-scrubbing, we can make ourselves clean. Or we can avoid the things that make us dirty. But the Bible says, no, it's there in your heart. And you need to be cleansed and only God can cleanse you. You know, this language of Jesus becoming the propitiation for our sins, some translations have it, atoning sacrifice. And this echoes the book of Leviticus. All those bloody rituals of sacrificial animals were meant to signal to God's people. You need to be cleansed. The wages of sin is death. Here is a substitute on your behalf to make you clean. You've heard me say this before if you've been around um, for a while at Grace. But it's it's just the truth that for something dirty to get clean, something clean is going to have to get dirty. If you've got uh, just you know, spills all over your kitchen table, right? You take a a nasty old rag and try to clean it up. You just spread the dirt around everywhere. You take a clean rag and put it to the mess. And what you find is the clean thing gets dirty so that the dirty thing can get clean. The death of Jesus is the spotless one getting dirty to make the dirty clean. And its origin is the love of God. The God who is love showed his love in sending Jesus to die for our sins. And it's an atoning sacrifice. You know what this is? 
This is God's PDA. Public display of affection. You know PDA? Some of y'all hate PDA, right? The holding hands couple, you're like, ooh, gross, and they kiss and all that kind of stuff, right? This is God saying, I am not embarrassed of my love for you. I'm putting it on full display for all the world to see. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5. The cross of Christ defines what true love is. It is love for the unlovely. It is love for the otherwise unlovable. It is love for one's enemies. And when you get that in you, it's got to come out of you into the world. Out into the world in relationship to your nasty coworker, to your grumpy neighbor, to your annoying in-laws, but to your brothers and sisters in the family of God. And John is saying, how can we be so loved and not be loving? So this is the second implication that, that, that John is drawing out for us. First, we should love because God is love. And then secondly, beloved, if God so loved us, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. But he's got more to say. It's not just that God is love and it's not just that God has loved us, but he says God continues to love in and through us when we love one another. You notice verse 12? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now this is an amazing statement that's easy to, to run by and he talks about it a little more a little bit later. But if you, if you remember in John's gospel, the first chapter, John chapter 1, verse 18, he, he, he says, no one has seen God, but God, the one and only, God, the son, who is at the father's side, has made him known. Jesus, the word made flesh. And now he says, the God who revealed himself in his son, reveals himself in and through his people. When what? When we love one another. It's a sign, it's a signal of the presence of God in the world when God's people love. God's love is seen in our love because our love is imparted by his spirit. That's verse 13. It doesn't mean that when we love, God then comes to dwell in us. It's exactly the opposite. When God comes to dwell in us and with us, we start to love. Because God is love and God has loved us. And then we start to love one another and we begin to experience God's presence. Our love is evidence of his indwelling. John even has the audacity to say that his love is made complete in us when we love one another. Perfected in us. And it, it, it's, it'd be easy to misunderstand that, uh, to think about perfect love as some sort of like perfect love that we have in our hearts. But the language Paul, John is using is love is reaching its goal. When this is happening amongst God's people, it's coming to its appointed and intended outcome. A loving community that reflects his love. Last week we saw that the work of the spirit is to magnify Jesus in our eyes, in our hearts, by drawing them to the work of, of Jesus the son for our salvation. Here he takes it a step further. The work of the son, if you read on, finds its completion in us in the work of loving one another. Jesus died to bring us together, right? to reconcile us to God, but also to each other. That's why Paul calls love a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit takes the work of the Son 
and works it into our hearts until it comes out in love for each other. And you know what this does? It creates a certain aroma to the community of the faith. What is that aroma? Well, it's the aroma of love. Like you can smell it when you're in it. You're like, this is the work of God in this place. Now, I find myself asking, like, what do people smell when they come into Grace Presbyterian Church? What do they smell here? You know, what do neighbors smell when they're walking by this place when we're gathering for worship? What they're supposed to smell is love. People who are sacrificially serving one another. And it is a sign and an indication of God's presence in our midst. You know, you hear a lot today, I love God, but I hate the church. And I have some sympathies with that statement because when you look at the history of the church and you even look at some of the things going on in the church in our day, right, there's some horrible abuses. There's toxic environments, right? There's sexual predation, right? We are, we are right to be unhappy about that. But that is the church not being the church. That is the church not living up to its calling. When John says, you want to find the center for how the church is supposed to be the church? It's found in the love of God, in the work of the Son, flowing out in the loving work of its people. And we can't just dismiss that part of it. Because if we want to love God, God says, you need to love your brother and your sister. And it's going to give an aroma to this community that actually draws people to see the glory and the goodness of God. The love we have for one another is a sign of God's presence. So are you you following along here? The reasons that, that John has given us, we should love one another because God is love. Because God has loved us in Christ. And because when we love one another, it shows that God lives in us and is at work here in our midst. And his love is finding its appointed outcome. And our love for one another. And what's the result of all this? Well, John writes, when we become convinced of the love that God has for us, verse 16, when it's reaching its appointed goal in our lives, what we find is a strange combination of confidence and humility. Now think about that for a second, because a lot of times that's a very strange pair. We don't usually think of confident people as very humble. And we don't think of humble people as very confident. But the gospel actually brings the two together. It says, when you know God is love, when you know you have been loved by God, when you begin to experience love in his community, and experience love flowing out of your heart for others in his community, you actually begin to experience freedom from fear. You have confidence before the day of judgment. Now, those words sometimes set us off judgment. But all of us want there to be a reckoning for injustice, don't we? But our reckonings aren't always fair or true or good or just. The full and final reckoning that God promises, his judgment, will be all of those things. And what God's people begin to experience in a community of love, rooted in the love of God in Jesus Christ, is freedom from all fear on that day of judgment. Why? Because John writes, fear has to do with punishment. And all the punishment has been put on Jesus for all our sins. 
And you find a confidence welling up inside you. Not a cockiness, but like a humble assurance that does what to you? It frees you from fear, but it also frees you to love. People don't become a way of you measuring yourself and your goodness. See if you're good enough. You're not using people to tell you something about yourself, whether you're valuable or significant. You're actually like, I've been made right with God. I will be declared justified on that great day. I am now free to give myself away in love to other people. Humility and confidence. Right? I don't have, you don't have to respond any certain way for me to keep doing this. Because it's not coming from something I can get out of you. It's coming from what God has done for me and in me. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love isn't flawless. That's going to make you panic. It's completed love. It's love finding its appointed end and destination in your life, in my life, in our lives together. Our love for one another is God's love reaching its appointed goal. If you say you love God and hate your brother, John says, you're a liar. Your words are a lie. Your life is a lie. You just got to love this old man. He just puts it to you. But when you realize the love that God has for you, it actually begins to turn cold hearts warm and hard hearts soft. And you begin to find yourself drawn in to loving others. I love what he says here. If you don't love your visible brother and sister, how can it be seen that you love the invisible God? And I don't think he's saying like, it's a lot easier to love people, a lot harder to love God, right? Because you can't see him. He's actually saying, your love for God in response to his love for you gets out in the open It gets seen, it becomes visible when we love one another. How we treat one another says a lot about how we really feel about God. We're bound together as a family in Christ. Should protect each other's reputations, be committed to one another's good, willing to get uncomfortable. Because love goes to uncomfortable places. You know, there's a lot of ways to talk about what it means to be a Christian. And you notice John has circled through what real Christianity is over and over again. And he's talked about having the right beliefs. That Jesus is the divine son of God who came and lived and died for our sins and then rose again victorious over the grave. He's talked about having your life oriented by the right compass, God's commands. You love to be told, to do what, you know, by, told what to do by God because you trust him. But the third thing he keeps coming back to is love. Love. God wants his community to be a community of love. Because he is love. Because he's loved us. Because it is a sign and evidence of his presence. And because it sets our hearts at rest. And we find freedom from fear. And freedom to give ourselves away. In many ways, what it means to be a Christian is to be overwhelmed by the love of God in Christ. How that grab you by the heart. That was the Apostle Paul's story. How did he write about it? He, he wrote about Jesus who loved me in the singular and gave himself for me. Right? That was Augustine's story. It's Mother Teresa's story. That's my story. Many of y'all know my history of my family was briefly homeless. We were taken in by a woman who was a Christian. Brought into her house. She made space for us. 
She got me to go to church, right? I showed up. I was so obnoxious, more obnoxious than I am now, so self-absorbed, performing for everybody, right? But what I experienced in that community was love. And it was a love that overlooked my obnoxiousness, that picked me up and took me to football practice, that paid for me to go on church trips and mission trips, uh, that came alongside me in some of the most destitute moments of my life, that suddenly in this community that was 5,000 people large, I had like 20 spiritual aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and people looking out for me. And I got caught up in the love of God manifest in that community. You see, this is the way. And you might say, I, but I can't love, right? You can't. I can't either. Not on our own. Not by ourselves. You might say, I don't want to love. Yeah, I don't want to sometimes either. But that's part of what's wrong with the world is we're curved in on ourselves. But the gospel comes and it's like dynamite going off in the soul and it rearranges everything and it orders our lives by love. The God who is love, the God who has loved, the God who continues to love in and through us. And my favorite statement in this whole passage is how John ends in verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Friends, this is the way. This is, we come to church to be loved and to loved, right? And the love that we get here is supposed to be the love of God for us in Christ. That's what we got to proclaim every single Sunday because that is the only way that we will be able to love one another. This is the way. This is the way. And this is love. Not that we loved God so well, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love, that you are the God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, so full as to be overflowing, and you overflowed in love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for the love you demonstrated on the cross, a love that fixes what is wrong in us, a love that makes us clean. It makes us new. And we thank you for the experiences of your love that we have had uh, in your community. When someone has moved alongside of us and given of their time and their energy and sacrifice that we might experience that love. Lord, would you make us more and more a people like that? Would you make us a community of love? Would you make the aroma of, of this church love? And may it be a love that is not sentimental or saccharine, but a love that is sacrificial and is oriented to serving others. Lord, we need you to do this in us. So help us to abide in your love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.